Report. Everything's status quo, sir. Very well. If um, anyone needs me, I'll be in my ready room. Welcome to the Readier Room, the only longest-running Star Trek Next Generation rewatch podcast every week of the calendar year and the fiscal year. We're bringing you an episode of Star Trek Next Generation and all the Next Generation stories that were behind the making of that episode, told by the people who were there. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant of Services of Paramount. With me is my partner, Brandon Hobbs. And Brandon, how are you this morning? Um, well, uh... Good. I, I just woke up from a nap, uh, so uh, I hope I can I can stay on top of my game here. Mm-hmm. But uh, otherwise, great. Now, shouldn't the post-nap be the best time to do this? Yeah, you're all groggy. and Well, maybe you're groggy. Yeah. I wake up from a nap rejuvenated like a new man. A new man. Uh-huh, like a newborn? Like a, like a newborn with just as much <laughs> screaming. oh yeah no i uh you you get tired you wake up like a slumbering giant yeah yeah and i'll 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 let out a mighty billow you you raise your stomping around (laughs) you raise your arm up and the forestation that had grown on it in the meantime shaken (laughs) off I uh, I walk up to you and raise my arm up slowly before bringing it down so you can dodge roll. With how much tracking do you generally have on that? <laughs> Better not get behind me. Um, that's that's a good. It's a really good transition into what has been mm-hmm. consuming in most waking hours of my life, which is and that's pretty ironic because it's D Trans Awareness Day. It is. It is. Um, we should so. de- we should detransition into the end of the podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, El- elder elder rings. Elders sing. Um, has I've either been thinking about it or doing it every minute mm-hmm. of my waking hours, which I've is... been I've been dreaming about it. Oh, that's that's a new level. Yeah, this it's pretty nuts. I, I imagine a nightmare where somebody like holds up a, a sword to swing it at you and it's like above their head and you know you just keep dodge rolling for for minutes on end <laughs> and the attack just never comes <laughs> yeah, yeah and then you stop and they they bring it down on you and kill you yeah I, I can't remember the details but uh, I, I know how everyone loves to hear about people's dreams oh it's the best um it's, I, it's probably the most interesting topic ever I keep a dream journal. Of other people's mm-hmm. dreams. <laughs> Whenever someone says, oh, I had the weirdest dream, I you know, take it out of my back pocket. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Hold that thought. I don't do want to uh, forget this. Do you, do you tell other people's dreams like they're your anecdotes? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I had a really weird dream once. I do that after studying them to not have any <laughs> holes in my story. But I'll also right. use that as a, as a portal to... Um, without provocation psychoanalyze the person telling me the dream mm-hmm. and, you know it's like, at, at the same time yeah yeah um 
which is kind if of not even there. <laughs> it's quite the double act that one. Yeah, I can imagine. But it's great because somebody will be like, "Oh, I had this dream where I was running, but I couldn't move. You know, I was just running in place." Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I think about it and I tell them, "It's like I think you want to transition." <laughs> or detransition, depending on on the your day. Current yes. Status. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That too. Um, that, that, a lot of people have this one where your all your teeth fall out. I've had that before. Yeah, I've never had that one. But uh, one of my constant ones is um, needing to punch someone, mm-hmm. but I'm so weak it does nothing to them, and they just kind of like run over me. I think like this... I'm in a fight. You know what I mean? Uh huh. I I think and, this and I is a rev- um. This is indicative of your feelings on gender dynamics. Oh, it could be. It definitely could be. Um. Recently, I was able to finally, and this was a big breakthrough. I was able to finally have a dream where I took a knife and ran it through someone, and killed them, now, stabbed them to death. I've always thought about this: the logistics of quote running someone through with a knife. Uh huh. For example. Do you keep? Is it like a samurai film? You, you you run up, run them through, and keep running, and the knife like passes through them. Oh, you're talking about the semantics. Yeah, the logistics of it. Like, how does what does it mean to run someone through? Is it just a shanking? I mean, I I guess. I mean, I don't know. I I I just shouldn't use that word. I guess. Well, first of all, it's a phrase. Second of all, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you dreamed it, so. If you dreamed well, it, you can do it. I I know I know what it means to to run a train on someone. Yeah, and that you don't keep running. No, no, you don't really do much running at all. <laughs> maybe, maybe one person in the group does if if it's uh, not consensual. But well, I was gonna say you afterwards, depending on the consensual nature of the <laughs> yeah, encounter. Yeah, right, right, right. So one party runs first, and then later the the other party runs. Did you know that that's what the, the Aerosmith song "Train Kept a Runnin" is about? <laughs> is that so? Yeah, train kept a runnin' all night long. Train kept a runnin' all night long. The lyrics, um, uh-huh. clearly, that that's the the content, the thematic yeah, content uh, of that it's, Aerosmith song. I'm I'm convinced. I'll say this about Elden Ring. Um, I, I think people are largely too polarized on what is ultimately a um, fine but flawed experience. Yeah, sure. I think that's fair. I mean, it's I've spent 101 hours in it so far, and I'm probably going to jump into it right after we finish recording. I'm not going to shower. I'm not going to eat. I don't work. Uh, I'm just going to ring. Mm. And uh, it's... Very, very. I, I we've talked off mic about this before, but um, it incentivizes its open world very well, and it's addicting. Um, but yes, I think there's some fairly glaring flaws with it. Mm. Uh, that I mean, you know, the typical like it's like From hasn't really done anything to build upon their their combat system. No, um, Bloodborne was very good. Uh, and even that was a very, very minor change. Um, but I felt it was like something different. Well, I this think... is, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, I, this, this just, this just feels like so much like, like souls to me in, um, 
and almost I think I've seen other people say this. It feels like a like Bloodborne enemies and you're a Souls guy, you know? Yeah, I buy that. I I think that Bloodborne and Sekiro both represent meaningful uh, tweaks mm. to that formula. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Where neither of them are all that different or all that deep, but they play uniquely and that 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 justifies their existence. Um Right. And the basically all of the other ones and this problem gets worse the later in the series it is just play so identically to one another and mm -hmm. if in the ways that they're different they're almost always worse than what came before yeah 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 and there's this issue now where okay the game plays the same what do we change um you end up getting these bosses that are almost flanderized versions of souls bosses yeah that's a really uh, good way to put it that are they're just they're just annoying and I think we talked about this too, where the 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 old bait and switch, where uh, moves are delayed, kind yep. of. You know, they they the the flag comes up, and then you know you roll like you think you're supposed to, and then it punishes you, and then the, literally the next move in the combo does the same thing, and it's just every single move is a delayed attack, and uh, it it ceases to be fun at that point because when you use them sparingly it's like oh shit like it's funny when you die to it because you're like ah they got me uh, now you're just anticipating it to happen with every single move something throws out yeah it's it's less about um having a natural sense for the combat and more about just getting hit by several moves a few times until you've learned their obtuse timing and then it's right then it's the same thing but it, it really just takes you out of the experience and so transparently um, there to get you yeah totally and this is all indicative of the the steer the problem that these games have grappled with for basically since their inception or maybe since the second outing is that they've i embraced a sense of difficulty as their identity when i, yeah. I think that's a very misguided approach for oh the, it's the it series. totally is because i mean demon souls uh, i i never played the original dark souls but demon souls um, there were worlds that I'm pretty sure I went through and didn't die once. Right. You know, um, it's just possible to do that. And that's not to say they were necessarily easy. I was scared shitless a lot of the time, but, uh, yeah, somehow I made it through and, and there, there was no bullshit gotchas or whatever. It was just a normal game. Right. And it was there. And it's fine to have that. The mechanics are punishing, which I think is yeah. where this confusion comes from. And mm -hmm. I agree. There's nothing wrong with that. But they, instead of that happening, orga happening organically through the mechanics of the game and, and how it's set up, it's very artificial in uh, we're going to you know, alter these enemy attack patterns and put more enemies into one encounter, um, which is something else that the series has really embraced doing. So many boss mm -hmm. fights are just um, something that would be very easy, except there's two of them, or there's a bunch of smaller yeah. mobs. Yeah, we get a lot of that in this game. Um, I don't, I don't so much mind the two bosses. By the time I've ended up getting to most of them, I'm kind of over leveled. Yeah, um, I, and you have summons in this game to work that out, like yeah, AI yeah. summons. But when that happens, it's mostly okay. I put my summon down. They distract one of the guys. I kill the other one, and I kill the first one. And <laughs> right, that's right. that's just not very satisfying either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I when there's little mobs, that's. Honestly, I think that's the worst sin a video game can do when a boss has little mobs around it. 
Yeah. Um, it, it, or it, mobs that have meaningful attacks. Like, like, did Rom have mobs? It did. It had those little spiders. But yeah, it, but the, like, they never bothered me because um, they couldn't really do much well i don't the, think the the boss is balanced around that rom was very sure um, yeah um i don't know standoffish it didn't attack all that mm -hmm. often it only had ranged attacks um right and the encounter was designed with that in mind but so many so much of the time in this game it's just enemies that exist separately in other places yeah. they're just kind of transplanted into the same arena right so there's no effort into the design of it um, yeah uh yeah, you you made a point that that I you know I, I think I would take it a step further. It seems like almost every boss in this game is designed around summoning. Yeah, which is a shame, um, because I I only when I play these games the first time I always do it without using the online component. I mean, maybe I get invaded, yeah. but I don't, I don't invite anything. Sure. And for this, I'm still doing that, but I I have found that I need to use the AI summons, which is not as, um, I don't know, it doesn't feel as much like cheating, but it, it also is a bit of a it's, handicap. It's just, yeah, it's less engaging that way. But, I mean, you don't really have a choice. You, you have, like, God, Godric, Godfrey, Godric, I think. Mm. Uh, which I don't even know how you're supposed to beat without summons. It, he has so many AoE attacks. He has a ridiculous range. Um even even Margit, or however you pronounce his name, um, he's so punishing. Like, any any move you make, he'll punish it. Uh, if you don't dodge, if you do dodge, if you roll too far forward, if you jump, he's got, like, a special punish for each one of those. So. I, I think that this game having punishing bosses, and the more challenging the bosses get, I think those are... They scale with how at odds they are with the game's design. Because mm. when you encounter a boss that's really difficult, for whatever reason, in most of the other games, you don't really have any recourse. You know, maybe there's one or two other paths you can explore, but eventually you gotta go back and fight that thing. You gotta, yeah. In, in this game, the harder a boss is, really the more incentivized you are just to come back later and later and later. Yeah, and exactly. Y you wind up doing so many of the bosses um, from an over-leveled standpoint, almost incidentally, yeah. without trying to. Because you're just never confronted with the necessity of fighting anything until you're ready. So Yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah, and when you ostensibly want the games to be about this challenge, because that's clearly what they're designing it for. I mean, I don't agree with that, but that's what they want. And you give everyone such an easy get-out-of-jail-free card, then what's even the point of making these challenging encounters? Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, and... Yeah, I, I guess it's, in a way, the open world bit is pretty at odds. Yeah. Although I, I wouldn't say it's totally, I think there are positives about it too that add to the formula. I agree. I, I've come around on the open world nature of it, where I was initially just extremely opposed to it. But I still think mm. that, despite the positives, there are still um, ways that it clashes with, with There's the, definitely a trade-off. Yeah. I'm suppose but... I'm happy they did that. It's certainly better mm -hmm. than just the same combat and the same level design. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, I mean, this is... I say this from the standpoint as someone who doesn't like time-wasting open-world games very much. I think they're distractions from either playing um, a good video game or doing something productive. Mm. 
It's like it's like you you load up uh, uh, Red Dead Redemption two and it's it's just you role playing as a cowboy for hours on end. Is that a good thing or a is, bad thing? It's novel. It's novel. Don't get me wrong, but you have to be really deranged to think that it's a good use of your time. You mm-hmm. know, it's 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 like complete fantasy, and uh, that that just never sits well with me. It just feels like a huge waste of time. Um, this game is incredible in its open world. It's it like everything has a point. Um, it's crammed. It's like full to the brim with stuff. Uh, like you, you can just set off in any direction and find a ton of crap. And the loop is such that you know you find a cave. It's like some random side thing. Even if the boss is easy, whatever you kill it, you get some loot. Oh, it's something I can actually use for you know this boss I was having trouble with or something. You know? Yeah, the rewards feel meaningful. Um, Definitely, I, which is crazy to me. <laughs> I'll say a positive. I don't think the the caves, the those tombs, dungeons, whatever you want to call them, the smaller ones are mm. typically I don't think they're all that engaging but I will say that they've chosen the right average length of them where it yes it feels very unobtrusive to go into one clear it out and get your reward and leave um the length is just right which yeah. when, when you're doing that as many times cuz I make it a point and I'm sure most people do make it a point to go into all the ones you find um mm-hmm. it doesn't drag but what I really like about the open world is how many how many things are like you said, but how many of those things are novel in some way, or they are mm-hmm. somewhat like a puzzle? It, you encounter something with like, I don't know what to do here, I don't know what to use this for, but there's always the sense that oh, okay, I'll explore more and I'll come back here once I find that answer. So there's totally. just there's just a lot of mysteries and stuff that are interesting yeah. to come across. Um, like the first time you see a mausoleum. Yeah, like <laughs> what the fuck? And and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? And then you know, uh, I I'm riding around it trying to figure out what to do. I go to a, a broken down shack that's you know off in the distance, and there's a merchant there, and he sells me a note that tells me what to do with it, which was pretty neat. And uh, I, I I really liked. I've already talked about this with you, but I really like that um, that stupid troll convoy. Yes, that walks up to the castle. And uh, you just massacre them and uh, steal their their treasure, which I never ended up using because it's not my build, but um, pretty neat. But it also wasn't a useless item in the sense that you can't imagine uh, a a, a use for that. Um, I keep finding these churches. I think, I don't know if it's a church exactly, but you go inside and there's a note that says... May something guide the way. I don't remember the word, but it was, it's not very clear. And the first time I found one, I'm like, well, I don't really know what to do here. I'll come back later. Found the second one, and now I'm just really confused. And the second one had like a a fog door. And when you go up to the fog door, you you click on it to enter, and it says, um, must complete puzzle to enter, which is just a phrase I've (laughs) never seen before in the game. I've never seen this. What the hell? Yeah. And it's it's so enticing. It, I, like I really want to investigate this and, and learn about it, but the way to do so also is not um, very clear. Mm-hmm. So exploration is meaningful. It's not just follow the waypoint. It's it's you know go everywhere and maybe you'll find it. 
Yeah, this this game definitely makes it a point to not give you any real tools to uh, to track things, which I'm fine by. You can put down little markers and stuff, but well, I think those are uh, tools to track things. Well, yeah, no, they they are, but it's not in the same way that like mm. most games would, you know, give you like a mission list or whatever, and right. you, you know, you, you would you would interact with that door and be like, solve it. It would be like this mission would pop up, solve the puzzle, right. And then it would lead you right to where the puzzle is, like that kind of thing. It really incentivizes, and and there's there's this sense that, and this is why I'm obsessed with the game in part. There's the sense that you're not going to see everything, like you just can't. Right. And if you're smart and you stay offline, you know, st don't look at guides or whatever. Uh, you know, you and I are trading information all the time. Um, you can even go on Twitter and trade information with people or whatever, and it's it's fun that way. It's like it's like how we used to play video games way back in the day, where uh, we didn't have information at our fingertips, and you know someone could be completely bullshitting you, and it's fun to figure out what's actually going on. People are still trying to figure things out, um, and that, that's I think that's the experience they always really wanted to make with these games. It sounds mm. like yeah, people. Just trade it like something crazy happening to someone, and then you know it's like, oh, guess guess what happened to me in Elden Ring? You'll never believe this. And There's it, a lot of story really equity in this. Yeah, for this sure. I, I think a lot of these games' best quality is um, yeah, the unknowable things about them. Mm -hmm. It's in basically every aspect of the design. Um, exploring, even in the line more linear games, was always a big part. And there's a lot of things that you can miss just in the environment, but also how the NPCs work and what their quest lines are. It's, it's not clear at all. And you miss a lot of it, but on different playthroughs, you do things slightly differently in a different order, or you have different stats, which enables different interactions with characters. And you just naturally on the second time, find something you didn't before. And it's just so much more interesting than having all that information. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you know, there's always, like, those weird, obtuse uh, characters asking you to do stuff for them, and then they, you can't really figure out where they went. In this, in this game, I don't... How do, how do, you, how do you feel about the, the NPC quests in this game? Because a lot of the time, you'll take a quest somewhere, and then the character will, you know, kind of fuck off to another region, and you just have no idea where they are. That's par for the course in, in these games. There's more quests in this one, just because of the size of it, but... It's it's how it's always been, so I, I don't have much thoughts on it, but I do. I can see why it would bother some people. Sorry for interrupting. I can see. I can see. I just. I only asked this because I can see why it would bother some people, because uh, there's so much more ground to cover in this game. In, in yeah. the other games, if you were looking for someone, you could run through these mostly linear uh, areas and and look for them or whatever. But this one, you you, you can't really do that. You have no. to. You kind of have to be lucky um, if you have no information on where a character went. But I think in other games, it's you have a different state of mind, different approach to it, where mm. playing something, and even another large game like Breath of the Wild, I still went in there and said, okay, I'm going to do all these side quests, and I did, and it was pretty easy right. to do. Um, it just took some time. I don't think you can look at a game like this and do so with the notion that you will do all of or even most of the side quests. Uh, and I, yeah, I, right, I, yeah. I, I think it's actively detrimental to your experience to aim to do that. Oh, yeah. It's terrible because it's just stressful. Right. You're just stressing yourself because, because no doubt there's definitely some quests that interact poorly with others or something. You know, there's there's got to be 
or, or quests with some ridiculous time limit in terms of how far you can progress into the game at a certain point. Right. And I'm sure some, um, some quests are locked behind things like, okay, this guy, he's a merchant that sells spells. I have to buy a certain amount from him to get him to move to the next area, but I'm doing a yeah, melee yeah. build and I'm not going to buy right. these. So it's once you accept that you're going to miss those things, I, I don't think it's... Um, I think it's easy to avoid getting annoyed by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think a lot of people's grievances, not a lot of them, there are pretty legitimate grievances, but a number of them stem from them just treating, approaching this game as something that it's not. Yeah, definitely. You know, people have been conditioned to, and like you said, even Breath of the Wild kind of did this, although it, it did have that, that uh, golden poop quest that drove completionists absolutely bonkers which Remember was that? One, yeah wonderful yeah so e- even that to a degree had the sense of like stop trying to stop treating this like a checklist mm. uh so I, I did like that about that this this game takes it way further and and people people don't like that people don't <laughs> there's certain people don't like that people, people don't like uh ambiguity or uh not knowing what to do next because they they have this this sense of like oh you know everything I play should be relaxing or whatever but it's like I, I don't I just don't play this I guess yeah I mean good luck with that attitude when you get to Caleb great but yeah yeah hey, Caleb is Caleb's rough even for me that's a scary place uh but yeah I mean it 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 kind of it harkens back to like you know old uh the old like Western RPG computer games it's sometimes shit happens <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, this... things are obtuse. Mm-hmm. You'll run into an enemy that just beats your shit in, but it's still it's incredibly forgiving. You can go grab your stuff back uh, pretty easily. This this game feels like the closest um, interpretation of a of an adventure game that I've played in mm-hmm. in in some time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It it there's that sense of wonder to it. Yeah, um, which and goes out the window wonder... if you look it up. Right, right, right. I wonder if you could if you could take something like this and actually get like a party system going, and and how how that might end up working. Uh, like multiplayer? That, that could, no, no, no. Like just you know, like like those old games, you have like a party of like four people or something. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, you know what I mean. That would um, be cool in that it would um, make all of the gear more meaningful that you find, but at the same yeah, yeah, yeah. At the same time, it would. Um, take away the experience of different players difficulty right. uh, waxing and waning as bosses you know, are they, they'd have to, they'd have to actually balance the game around it yeah um but but yeah I, I guess that's true people would have maybe less unique playthroughs unless you have uh you know dozens upon dozens of classes with locked uh loot mm. uh, but uh one thing i do want to say um, that I absolutely despise about this game is how much it seems to love platforming. It's terrible. It's so bad. Um, on foot platforming is is really bad. On horse platforming is probably the, the worst shit I've ever played. Yeah. <laughs> you just you when you get to a section where you know you're gonna have to jump on things, your heart mm. sinks in a way that it, yeah. in a way that it doesn't even when you see the largest of bosses. <laughs> right, right, right. You can you can walk into a cave and there's just a, a giant fire snake in the middle of it, and you're like, okay, 
Yeah, the, the, the minute you the minute you see a, a chasm you have to cross, it's like, well, uh, 50-50 chance I, you know, get incredibly mad and start punching myself in the head. <laughs> gotta go spitting everywhere. Gotta go spend all my souls because I'm not getting out of this alive. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's definitely an invitation to spend them all. Oh boy. Luckily, there's not too much of that, but there's well, yeah, there's too much, but there's not a terrible lot of it. Yes. So there's a bearable amount. It's not enough to quit the game, but it is enough to quit life. <laughs> so, uh, um, the the legacy dungeons, though, how do you like? They're they're pretty well made, I think. What do you mean legacy dungeons? Well, that's what people call the 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 more souls like dungeons where you go somewhere and it's like this interconnected oh it's like uh, a castle yeah like a discrete zone yeah so like the the academy or the volcano manor or you know yeah. the castle that godfrey is in I Godric think, is in. i think those are great um the whatever they refer legacy is a good way to refer to those because they are very much built with that um same design process mm. and i have nothing but good things to say about them yeah i was i was worried at first that you know they would sacrifice some complexity mm. just by virtue of what the game is but it seems like you get into these areas and and they're basically just built to be like you said very discrete levels with uh you know their own multiple branching paths and stuff yep so you you can spend hours just exploring each one really which is great i was it, it kind of keeps the soul in there oh 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 he said the soul word. I was exploring the uh, the the poison castle one by the. Oh plateau. yeah, I'm just about to do that actually. It was and it was fun. It's a good zone. Mm. Um, cool, cool. And I'm happy those are there. I, and I'm mm. kind of struggling with this because I don't want to just be like, oh, it's it's like the old thing, so I like it. <laughs> um, but one of the strengths of the series has always been its tight level design and that that does remain true here where parts of the open world don't fit that um i fought one too many large guys on uneven ground where both of our attacks just keep whiffing because one of us is on like a we backed up to to a large rock or something and it's it's like is this really where this fight should be taking place (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah uh a lot of it, a lot of, I'm not going to say a lot of the time, but it does happen with some frequency that the terrain gets in the way of, of some fight out in the middle of nowhere. Right. But and, it, uh, it is always in the middle of nowhere instead of in those um, legacy yeah. dungeons. So yeah. those do their job well of, of being uh, finely tuned zones. Yeah. And I, I think it's nice because they break up, they break up the open world action and vice versa. Mm. So... You know, you can find these dungeons and say, oh, I don't feel like doing it right now. I want to go explore around the area. Um, and, you know, when you're sick of aimlessly wandering around, you can be like, oh, I got to do uh, this dungeon or that dungeon, which is nice. Yeah, there's always a lot of choices on what to do or what to explore. Um, yeah. My map is always full of things that I see and I put a marker down. It's like, all right, I want to come back here later and see what's up with that. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. And never do i not find myself with at least four or five different options yeah absolutely and that's that's great because it really does uh however you're feeling at that moment if you're like oh i I don't really feel like uh bashing my head against the wall trying to kill this boss i can go 
I don't know, see what this cave's all about or whatever. It's, right. It's nice. Good, good pacing choices. Mm. So this week's question uh, of the week comes from Phil Dick from Santa Ana, who says, Hey, Admirals, big fan. Um, my question is, do androids dream of electric sheep? Mm. Thanks for everything you do, Phil. Uh, Phil, that's a great question, and I wanted to actually ask you this, uh, get your opinion on it. I know where I stand on the matters, yeah, being yeah. such a controversial issue, right? but I, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to get your thoughts out there. Yeah, so, um, oh, this, this, is, this is really fitting with our, our dream discussion earlier. Yes. Do androids dream of electric sheep? I've seen this asked a lot. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it gets thrown around a lot. Well, you know, in today's um, world. Yeah, 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 I guess so. Um, you know, we are living in a dystopia nowadays. Um, mm. uh, without any of the cool neon lights and Chinese signs, right? Right, but I do take the time to dream of electric sheep, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I think we are perfectly capable of dreaming of electric sheep. Um, why, why, don't, why don't we take the data as a case study? He's our resident android, right? That's true. Why don't, why don't we change the question to, does Data dream of electric sheep? All right, let, let me do take two. Um, Phil asks, does Data dream of electric sheep? There we go. There we go. Um, now, the question you have to ask yourself is, what is an electric sheep? I think it's a euphemism, isn't it? See, that's what I was thinking. I mean, obviously, you know, you have the book and there's electric sheep or whatever, but right. uh, what, what, does it, what does it mean? What does it mean? Electric sheep is definitely a kind of appliance, um, you know, something that kind of has a, a fluff to it, not necessarily a, a cloth fluff, but more of a non-dense mass, and right. um, I, I imagine, like, you plug it in and it's just kind of, like, vibrates <laughs> around. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that's exactly what it does. You plug it in, and it, no, no, no purpose whatsoever. It just starts vibrating and sort of like jumping around, and it'll it'll like fall on its side after a few seconds of that, and just continue rattling on the floor. Just makes that obnoxious noise, like uh... yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, which there's a lot of futility in that, right? And um, the question is, does Data dream of it? I I would imagine he does. Now, do you think this is akin to the um, ultimately useless top from, um, what was that movie with the dreams? Beyblade. It was not Beyblade. It was the one with um, Chris Knoll. He directed it. It's not... Wait, wait. It's... when you say useless top, are you talking about the toy or getting head? Oh, um, both perhaps, but mostly the <laughs> former. There's a movie where they're like, oh, we're inside a dream. I'm going to spin this top. And if the top falls over, um, it's not a dream. I, this is this is definitely a movie that, that that exists, by the way. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it was, um, what the hell is this movie? It's not Insurrection. Wait, 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 who's, who's the director? Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Oh, oh, oh. Um... I'm going to pretend I know it, but really I'm just looking up his filmography. <laughs> what is, this is a, this is a large movie when it came out. Everybody's like, oh, it's 
a dream. It was it was his one of his earlier ones, right? No, no, it was maybe ten years ago at this point. So Inception. Like, Inception. That's it. I was thinking Insurrection for some reason. <laughs> it's like a Matrix movie, right? The Matrix Insurrections. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah, useless so, top. Where, where was I going uh-huh. with this? Is is the electric sheep like useless top? Okay. Yes. Is it like the the top from Insurrection? Where? Wait. So does the top spin or not? It's it's a top. Of course it spins. Well, if it's useless, you, you called it useless. That would imply it doesn't spin. It's that's its only function. Okay. Listen, l- listen to me here. You <laughs> uh, imagine a top is just in our world. What use does it have? Okay, I can spin it. Who who gives a shit? It's fun. <laughs> Spinning a top? Listen, there's an entire children's anime franchise based on this. You and your children's anime franchises. Hey, I I can't help it. We see it we see it everywhere. We, you, us. Children. Uh, ch- <laughs> we see children everywhere. And I, 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 I can't help myself sometimes. I know. I know. <laughs> okay, so if if so, the top does spin, does that mean they're in the dream or not in a dream? If it spins, I think I, I think if it keeps spinning in per, per, yeah, perpetuity, then um, they are in a dream. Because naturally a top would wobble and how fall would, down. How would, they gauge, how would they gauge a perpetual spin? They'd have to stand there for the rest of their lives. Why do you think it, the movie's it, so eternity. long? <laughs> Because <laughs> Nolan's a hack. <laughs> you know, I, I hated the discourse around that film. Um, I watched. That came out. I watched Tenet, and I thought that I was playing Deathloop. <laughs> it's just because of the black main characters, and you know the time shenanigans. <laughs> well, and, here, and how little fun you were having. Well, there's that too. But here's the thing: black people are what percentage of the population? We're not going to do this. But okay, but. The amount of people who have time traveled is so low that um, when you have multiple black people traveling through time, playing these statistics against one another, the the the, the black population and the percentage of time travelers throughout history, it only makes sense to draw parallels. Yeah, I suppose so. I can't argue with that, statistically speaking. Yeah, it's a little odd. Right, right. You know, it's the same thing that, you know, if two people were to um, land on Mars independent of one another, and they both happen to be the same race, whatever race it was, you would have to be surprised by that, because it's just a statistical anomaly. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You're right. I took statistics in university. Huh. So did I, but I I don't remember any of it. Well, you you would do well to remember. (laughs) <laughs> so do does data dream of electric sheep i you know i guess if it's about the futility of being a uh, a robot um then yes i'm sure he does well i hope we can all put that to rest thank I, you I, I'm, I'm i'm trying to figure out what an electric sheep actually is supposed to be i read the book a long time ago but i don't remember was it about sheep yeah like th- th- there actually is like this this appliance called an electric sheep toothbrush um, but I, I think I think it's supposed to be like fill the role of a of a real sheep to a degree. 
God, whatever. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit. They they made sequels to that book though. Called uh, called Blade Runner Two. Blade Runner Three and Blade Runner Four. Wow, maybe they should dream of Blade Runner sequels to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, glad we cleared that one up. Um, If you are like Phil and you have a question of the week you want us to answer next week on our question of the week segment, you can send an email to theReadyerRoom at gmail.com. That's with a capital T, two capital R's. And if it's a good question of the week, we'll answer it next week. Mm. This week. If it's not a good question, we probably will answer it too. Oh, yeah. um, You know our standards. Beggars can't be choosers, huh? No, no, no. No, no, no. But this week, um, we do have some... We begged for some Star Trek, and we got mm. it. But we did yeah, not choose this, this Tom Foolery. Yes, um, uh, I don't know this Tom guy, but he's a real fool. Yeah, yeah, he's really pissing me off. Enough, enough foolery, Tom, or otherwise. <laughs> uh, Deja Q. Yes, uh, another Q episode, which uh, much much loved Q episodes. It seems like. Just yesterday, we had the last one. I know. I know. He really uh, he spent a lot of time with us, didn't he? Yes, yes. A little too much time. So, uh, Delancey's back. Q's back. There's a lot of um, horseplay. It's kind of yeah. the best way to describe these Q episodes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Lots a lot of... A lot of butt play. <laughs> a lot of butt a lot stuff. Of cosplay. A lot of butt stuff. A lot of cosplay. A lot of um, a lot of no costumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that. Overall, uh, I liked this episode, and I think at this point, it's only beginning to suffer from me having seen it as many times as I have. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a fair assessment. I like it. It's, um, I felt. Now this this might just be me, but I felt like the first couple scenes, uh, whatever direction was being given to the actors was like off. It, they they'd say their lines and they 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 felt stilted. Do you have an example? No. No, I don't know. If if you rewatch it, it might just be me, but because I I think it the the rest of that episode didn't have that problem, but. Mm. I think yeah, there was yeah. something about the way they were interacting in the in those first few scenes. There's, um, I think I'm spoiled because recently, having been watching so much Deep Space Nine, I, mm-hmm. I'm just used to good, competent performances. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's great. So, yeah. So yeah, I mostly like this episode. It was. It was a funnier episode than we've ever made. Yes, and a lot uh, of that landed on silly. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of it landed. Some of it just, some of it didn't. <laughs> uh, and when when Trek humor doesn't land, it's like embarrassing. Yeah, you but I, I think Trek is somewhat insulated from that, and I say this because, um, so much of Trek, on several different levels, is is silly. Um, sure. And and it has been for a very long time, so when something overtly or wanting to be overtly humorous doesn't land and and it looks silly, 
yeah, it's not effective, but it's also not so disruptive from, you know, the, sh- the TNG that produced seasons one and two with mm-hmm. all that unintended yeah, we, we didn't get any didn't get any data slapstick. No, no camera lingering on data as he tilts his head and, you know, asks, asks some stupid pun question. Instead, we so, got a very thought, for that. a very thoughtful exploration of Data's motivations as a for his character. Yeah, yeah. Q Q has uh, some fun interactions with crew that he usually doesn't really talk to. Like you know, you have some Worf stuff, you have some Data stuff, and it's mostly funny uh, or interesting. You know, uh, act actually has this kind of uh, some emotion to it. You know, which yeah. is surprising. This was. I think this might be the first and only episode where where Gene's changes to it actually uh, were for the better, uh, because the original script, or at least one of the original scripts that that was going around, um, it would have been Q was playing a trick. You know, he he mm-hmm. shows up on the Enterprise and he says, "I lost my powers," but uh, nope, it, it was just a trick. That, and uh, how terrible would that be? They right, and so I think Gene was the one who said, "Why don't you actually explore this this theme of like losing yourself so completely?" Uh, and and it worked. It actually worked, and there's no real. It's not mushy, you know. Q gets his powers back, and then he's an asshole again. But you know, he's just a little bit nicer, just a little bit. A fraction. Well, and him, it's it's because of the of the development that he has over the episode. It's not just Hugh becomes Hugh is nicer. It's Hugh um, saw somebody uh, sacrifice for him, which mm-hmm. which motivates him to reciprocate. And it's the direct reaction to the events of the episode, which is yeah, great. yeah, and I I think. I think it's it's at this point where you start to see Q more as like a almost benevolent, yeah, not a villain, a right? Def- definitely not a villain that that he was in the first couple appearances. Now he's and you know especially with this episode, he has so many one-liners, yeah. So he's 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 kind of silly, which is perfectly fine. He's very Loki-ish. I think he's high key. You know, I I, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. Um, it all works well. Um, the The performance, being what it is, elevates the the way the character's written in in the ways yeah. that it needs to. If somebody didn't have the same take that Delancey does, a I don't think the script would have been written like this in the first place because they just never would have arrived at that conclusion. But um, right, it it sells it. It's it takes a lot to go from this guy who kind of looked like some kind of weird clown uh, denigrating all of humanity for, you know, whatever crimes to somebody that you want to see a character arc of and kind of smile when he's on screen. Right, right. And meanwhile, the whole time literally looking like a a, a retroactive member of Channel Awesome. (laughs) Uh, It's it's a proto-Channel Awesome right there. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And an interesting little tidbit uh, before we start really diving into the episode. Um, you'll remember this, but for the audience, this this was written by Richard Danis, who mm-hmm. this is his first and only uh, uh, 
credited uh main writing, writing credit. credit yeah <laughs> yeah um because he at this point he was he was actually on his way out in like i don't know a week or two or something mm. um they didn't take up his contract he was only there for 10 weeks he didn't he, he had like no interactions with the producers or gene or anything uh and one has to wonder if if that had an influence on how this episode was written because it almost it almost feels like a shit post in, in, a, in a few aspects yeah, I can see that the shit post nature of it, the irreverence, the yeah, 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 it's irreverent uh, in in a way that Trek usually isn't, and mm. it, that's not a bad thing, of course, like we've already said, but it's just interesting. I I, I really have to wonder what uh, what the mindset of someone is who is in that position with a show. I it kind of feels like you're getting away with something. I imagine. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like if, if it were me, I'd probably make it even more extreme. But yeah, but it's kind of I think everybody's had this experience in some regard where you're at a job, but you know when the the end of that is, whether you're quitting right. or, or right. whatever. And so you leave a bunch of projects on the table and <laughs> and you just you just don't give a shit with the last few things you do. You just do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, whatever, cue silly now. Oh man. Yes, yes. Um But anyway, yeah, let's let's go through the episode, huh? Yeah. So the the Enterprise is is uh responding to some call from some aliens <laughs> as usual. We're really thrilled the, about this. The the, the, the moon <laughs> is gonna fall on them or something, right? Right, which um and the immediate suggestion of blowing it the fuck up doesn't doesn't fly for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this is the future, and somehow this doesn't work. It's what's funny to me is that lingering on this very small point is that blowing up a moon would probably be a cataclysmic event for for just about any planet, given how gravity works, tides. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It would, it would totally destroy destroy the planet. I think. Right. And that's that's Riker's first suggestion, only to be <laughs> only to be rebuffed because the fragments of the moon would still fall to the planet anyway. Right, right. And he's like, "Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous." Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I think even blowing a hole in the moon, a la Doctor Eggman, would probably destroy a planet, that's or at true. least you know, fuck it up a little bit. Right now, what um, what about half of the moon blowing up to reveal a giant Eggman face? <laughs> I'd imagine that would improve a planet, with you know. The, Certainly the, aesthetically, right? You can you can look up at night and see see the the giant mustache. And I would imagine it would be nicely nicely lit up and stuff. Imagine you know you're traveling for work and you call your wife and you're both looking up at the same giant mustache. <laughs> <laughs> the death peg is very bright tonight. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, so um yeah so they have to solve these aliens problem uh, you know they're in constant contact with with these these aliens on the surface who are i guess doctors or scientists or something interesting fact these um the 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 two main aliens they're actually they were actually friends of the show they were from a nail salon uh mm. not too far down the street um and and we always talked about how they these 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 people these what you might call actors had sort of an alien quality to them anyway um, so they ended up working out really well because they they really didn't need a lot of makeup no. in their uh, in their in their their costumes. So it saved a lot on budget, which was Most, nice. Mostly the robes that they needed. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So th that was pretty cool. Just a little side note. Yeah. Um, and then Q and, shows up. Uh, then Q shows up. Q shows up. Uh, another side note. He shows up naked. Mm. Uh, he falls on the ground uh, completely naked. Um, and there was a lot of talk about how this was going to happen. Uh, there were there there was this idea of like having a like a wooden board that was out of like off screen to, to cover him up or something. Right. Um, I remember we pitched the idea of you know, one of the stage hands just you know following him around with his hand over and, and yeah and cupping it yeah. yeah. Uh, which to be fair, I think Delancey was pretty receptive to, but brought um, new meaning to the it, term stage hand. <laughs> it certainly did. Certainly did. Um, uh, it's at one point, and this this is kind of what we. I think landed on Dan had one of Bob's guys um, give Lancey this G string that he'd wear. So, you know, obviously he looked naked, um, but Delancey in, in his words, he considered this dishonest filmmaking. Um, so he, he showed up for the scene completely naked and, and wouldn't really take no for an answer. And uh, in, in, in fact, the, the whole first day of filming was basically a wash. Cause he, he, he wouldn't get dressed again after that. Right. He just spent the day, Walking around the set naked, um, which was some of our benefit, you know, just <laughs> it was quite the view. Delancey and repose, as yeah. it were. <laughs> I'd, I'd love, I'd love to use uh, Delancey as a as a nude model. I'd just love to use Delancey. <laughs> I, I'd love to use Delancey nude. <laughs> I, I remember. He, uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just gonna. I was just gonna remark it just tangentially that he he didn't bring many costumes with him this time. No, no. I think he learned that uh, we'd have stuff prepared. But how about this? Yeah. Um, I'll I'll mark and you can remark. So anyway. Um, okay. Okay. Yes. 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 Uh, <laughs> this is <laughs> that was one of many many days of shooting that was actually um, at night. So Delancey is going through this kind of you know, nocturnal phase. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I think every, everyone as a, as a teenager probably has that, where it's like, I'm just going to stay up all night. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because you're a teenager, you can actually do that without, you know, dying. Feeling like trash, yeah. Yeah. But we kind of gave him free reign because we wanted you know the actors to show a natural contempt for Q, which, you know, came across very, very well in the shooting because everybody was ended up being dragged there at whatever hour of the night that Delancey wanted to film. And when, right. when they knew that it was Delancey calling the shots, it's kind of hard not to have the fire in your eyes when you're looking at him, even in character. So it worked well. Um, yeah. Now to this day, the cast relations with John are still strained, but um, the product that speaks oh, for itself. It was great. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It's, it's a, Prime example of how method acting can really, you know, you got you got your your Heath Ledgers, right? You know, your Christian Bales, and uh, Delancey's up there with the best of them, right? And um, your your Cillian Murphys, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your your Stoic and Murphys too, your Gary Oldman, Gary Youngman. <laughs> Was anybody else? Keep going. Keep was, going. Was, was anybody else in 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 the Dark Knight? Oh, like the film, not. Yeah, I not, mean it's just... it's morning right now. 
<laughs> no, I think those are the only actors that were in that film. Okay. No, um, there was also the guy from Thank You for Smoking. You ever see this movie? <laughs> Never watched Thank You for Smoking. Uh, I remember the ads for it, but I don't remember who's in it. <laughs> um, Aaron Eckert. Aaron Eckert. Yeah, he he played he played Double Face. Not in Thank You for Smoking. Uh, yeah. uh, oh yes, that's right, that's right. Yes, I do remember now. He was in that movie. Yes, yes, yes. Um, if 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 I don't know if an actor's not in a in a fantasy sci-fi film for children, I don't know. That's yeah. Did you know that initially? That role of 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 um, the Joker in that film, they were eyeing John Delancey for the role. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, they um they thought that he really looked the part, like they wouldn't need right. to give him that much makeup for the scars and the weird mouth. Um, right, right, right. So he's he's gonna he's gonna play in a trickster too. He yeah. is a trickster in real life. Yeah, he uh, he just kind of you know looks like vaguely you know psychopathic. <laughs> it would be a lot like uh, a lot like what Jared Leto tried to do, where he was mailing like shit to people or something on on the cast. Remember that? I do remember that. Like he he would, he would just do something completely benign, and everyone you know for the press had to be like, oh, he's he's crazy. It's like oh, he left a dead rat at my trailer. Right, right. As if that's not just disgusting. Right. And I, I think everyone's talked this point to death, but it's just so funny to me that when you method act in that way, the implication is that the Joker has nothing better to do than just mildly, you know, vandalize some some film set. Right, right. I I love love how Heath Ledger's performance absolutely mind broke every single Joker after him, <laughs> which I guess has only been one. But there's gonna be more. The curse of the Joker. Yeah, that's that's like a that's like a Batman animated movie. <laughs> the Curse of the Joker, you know, one of those animated films for for quote adults. Right, the dark ones. Batman, the Curse of the Joker. Yeah, like Batman cuts off someone's arm and it bleeds profusely everywhere. Batman it, has sex. It's a darker Batman than we've had before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much much like that new one that's coming out or that is out it's with a, uh, Ben Affleck. Very, with no, oh, no, no, with Robert Pattinson. Oh, they made another one. Yeah, Jesus, I still, I haven't seen Robert Patton Pattinson since the Lighthouse, and I guess at this point that was like three years ago. Yeah, yeah, he's a good actor. Yeah, I really enjoyed. Surprisingly, it. I really enjoyed his work in Twilight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I usually watched it, you know, muted and more of a still <laughs> photograph of of him without a shirt, but it it yeah. was it was good work. I, I I watched it with my pants off. That's the way to Schlicking do it. Schlicking to it. <laughs> Schlick. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Schlicking all right. Schlicking to oh, Robert Pattinson. Let's clear this up. Let's clear the air right now. Are you Team Edward or Team Jacob? Um, I don't know. And it's funny because I actually watched all of these movies. Really? And I, I don't. I, yeah, I don't remember them at all. I, at one point, I had them on Blu-ray. This is um, this is amazing. And, and then I looked them. Up, I looked at is them it, on my shelf. Do you want me to? Day. Do you want me to bleep this out after in editing? <laughs> I don't know if you're going to call me a slur. Then you should bleep that out. I would um, never, ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day I looked at them on my shelf and I was like, I, I have to. I can't. I threw them all away. You had a temporary moment of sanity. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say I'm Team Edward. Team Edward, not Team N. I had to. I, I was going sl- to ask. I kind of slurred that. <laughs> <laughs> That's more of a Freudian slip, I I believe. <laughs> um, I don't know. They're both weird, right? I mean, well, I mean, they're both monsters, sure. You have a Dracula and a, and a Wolfman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I think that qualifies as weird. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, uh, Jacob was... Um... Oh, you know what happens? Jacob tries to fuck uh, their eventual daughter. Right. I, I you know, Like, they're, like they're, when she's a baby? She imprints on him, or he imprints on yeah. her. Which is which is the grossest way to phrase anything. I have no. I don't know what imprinting me. It reminds me of reminds reminds me of mushroom stamping. I sorry. Mushroom stamp like when when you when you when you whip your your uh-huh. uh, your member out and you you slap someone on the face so hard it looks like a mushroom. Like it leaves a like, mark. Like, yeah, it leaves like a, a mushroom mark. Is this something? Because... Is this a, th- a real thing, or is this w- just what you do? <laughs> I didn't make this up. Is this 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 is apocryphal at best? It's, you you look it up on Urban Dictionary, and I didn't make the entry. It's it, you you whack someone with it so hard that it leaves like a red mark and it looks like a mushroom. But you have to whack it with the underside of it, basically, so it, it takes on that that mushroom, that fungal shape. I feel like it would need more elasticity. Um, or rather, not be fully hard to kind of get that, yeah, know, that wind up, and then it slaps down. Yeah, you definitely need to be a shower, right, to be able to do it. I, I guess my my poor grower mind could never uh, conceptualize <laughs> what's happening here. Yeah, I I think that's that's you uh, know not not to say that I I can't relate to you, but I think that's what's going on here. All right. Uh, but yeah, imprinting, imprinting. It, it, it leaves either that image in my my mind, or like he's pissing on her. Right, marking you his know? territory. Right, like like getting his musk all over her. Musk is a gross word. It is, yeah, and it's it's unfortunate that uh, that can be a surname. Apparently, what is that a new knight surname? <laughs> surname Musk. <laughs> Oh, uh, I must ask you a question. Nice, nice. That's what you should you should do that to Elon next time we see him. Yeah, I, I've I've gotten plenty of mileage out of his name for jokes to his face. Yeah, yeah. Like take he he pretends to like it. Take the long way home, Musk. That's bad. Uh, he 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 did pretend to like it. You know, you do anything to please the investors. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, he's got, he's got that that soft spot for, for TNG as well. So, you know, right. we're, we're kind of his connection to the show, really. That's why he tolerates us. Yeah, yeah. We, we make the magic happen. If anyone's wondering if there's going to be a real enterprise in the future, I say give it 50 years. Now, is this a, a ship or like a, a marketing venture? That's pretty good. Thank you. Um, I've forgotten entire. So Q's on the ship. Q's on the ship. Yeah, he lands naked on the ship. The intro plays. Uh, 
And then when when we come back, they have clothed him, and he's complaining about how it doesn't suit him. Right. It is. It is true. It's not a suit that he's wearing. That's a jumpsuit. Right. It's it's more of a onesie with um. It's, yeah. With a a crotch prosthetic. I'm not gonna lie. It looks kind of comfy. Eh, I don't like. You know, if I had to adjust down there, it seems the access is difficult. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't appreciate that very much. Mm. So I'm, I'm less. I, I've always about wondered. That. Yeah, I've always wondered what it's like to to have to go to the bathroom when you're wearing something like that. I think women have this problem pretty often, but there's the you're not going to really walk out the door with with uh, a whole body garment like that as a man. Not traditionally. No. Maybe sure. in the future. We like the future. I had a dream I went outside the other day. I had a dream I went outside. Well, let let me get my notebook. Hold on. <laughs> I had a dream I went outside in a kilt, and it's still still fucking me up. Was it the um, the dream itself, or the sensation of how much you liked it that fucked you up? Oh, I, I already know how much I like it. It was the dream itself. Okay. Okay. I buy this. Uh, I have a Japanese schoolgirl outfit in my my closet. Oh, I take out from I'm, time to time. I'm aware. Yeah, um, in our closet, our shared closet, of course. Right. Our our walk-in closet that is bigger than our actual bedroom. I remember. I remember. I was on AliExpress and I ordered, you know, Seirafuku, and mm. when it arrived, it was just a Popeye costume. <laughs> really, I, I can, see, I can see where the mistake would be made, right? And I um, actually believe you did this. Is this true? It, of course, it's true. It gave me massive uh, body uh, dysphoria that my arms dysmorphia dysmorphia that my arms weren't um, you know the size of barrels. <laughs> did you try eating spinach? Um, I did. Uh, about 15 years before this event and it was pretty good yeah i'd recommend spinach I, what is what is this this idea i mean i know it's a cartoon but this idea that eating spinach gives you giant biceps oh it's just or are they forearms it gives them giant forearms that's the thing right right I, it's just another ploy by big spinach big spinach yeah unbelievable and in uh, an insidious effort to get children to eat their greens Right. It's like, do you want to be do you want to be big and strong like Popeye? It's like, fuck no, I don't want to have that elephantitis face and one <laughs> eye. <laughs> Constantly simping for some for some three out of ten that some fat dude is trying to bang. I'll say this: the casting of Shelley Duvall as Olive Oil in the live action <laughs> Popeye film particularly inspired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, yeah. <laughs> I never watched that one, but uh, I, I can imagine it's not worth watching. I know Robin Williams was Popeye. I, I forget who was Bluto. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. I Andre the Giant? Yeah, I don't know. I tell you what. I don't know. Th that guy double parked in our apartment complex one time, and ever since then I've called him Andre the Giant asshole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I know. I tell that story every opportunity. You know. <laughs> I'm looking up who played Bluto. It's a musical? What the fuck? Wow, really? Yeah. Um, 
Paul Paul L. Smith, which to me that? is like Paul because it's two L's. Paul Smith, yeah. All right, I this you can is, definitely slur that. This is just some guy who's dead. You, I mean, he wasn't dead at the time, but <laughs> he's just some guy who's dead. Yeah. Uh. Whatever. Whatever. Robin Williams is actually pretty. I mean, aesthetically, he fits. He he does he does the the face yeah the funny face well. And you know he's he's supposed to be kind of just schlubby until he eats the spinach, so it you know it fits. And yep. uh, you know you give him an opportunity to do a silly voice. I mean, he won't do it anymore because you know. <laughs> Ooh, what if I eat the spinach? Ooh. I enjoyed watching clips of him on the Johnny Carson show because he just shows up and Johnny Carson looks both incredibly tired and uncomfortable for the duration of his stay. Because <laughs> you never know if he's just going to pull a gun on you or something. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I've seen, I mean, I must have seen these at some point, but I'll have to go back and, and rewatch them on the YouTube. It's worth. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll look them up while I'm playing Elder Rings. Just, just a grown man hooping and hollering. Robin Williams <laughs> is the real life Bing Bing Woohoo. <laughs> uh, look, we're barely through this episode. Oh my god, it's been an hour and ten minutes. So we, we, we haven't gotten out of the first scene. <laughs> so, Hugh uh, ah! shows up and... Right, he says, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I've been kicked out of the continuum." Right, right. And uh, easy, this, this, this scene kind of repeats for I don't know five or six times where Hugh says it. Everyone's like, "I don't believe you." Um, there, there's some particularly inspired lines like uh, from Data as he's he's running his little sensor around Q. I am uh, uh, Q is he's he's reading as fully human. He says. And then Troy says, I am sensing an emotional presence. Um, the script acknowledges this. Hugh says, oh, is there an echo? After um, Data confirms what he just said about being human. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's more that the lines are just stupid. They how, are stupid. How does, how, does that thing, how does that thing distinguish humans from other species? It seems like a very difficult task. Oh, the tricorder can, function. Can, can do literally anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Think about what the quadcorder could have done. Right, the quad quarter um, probably could have harnessed the power of the Q. Not unlike Sunny D. <laughs> that is what they said. Harness the power of the Q. Uh, I, I recall this scene had a bit of a, a, a mix-up. Yes, because um, at one point in this scene, uh, in the back and forth, in a heated back and forth between Picard and Q, Q is asserting himself as... as um, Human and Picard kind of plays along. Q says something like, "Oh, I'm Q the defenseless. Q the um, the human." And Picard also chimes in. He's like, "No, Q the liar. Q the misanthrope." And right. what just kept happening was that the casting director who was on set would hear this and run and grab some extra from the lot and kind of throw him onto the set. It's like, "All right, you're the misanthrope. You're the yep. liar. You know, yep. <laughs> Q Q these people." And right. It just, we kept trying to explain it to him. He ruined, I don't know how many takes, but eventually <laughs> Michael found a copy of the script and you know explained the spelling of that line. Right, right. Very confusing. It, it was confusing. I mean, for a minute I was doubting myself even. Right. And um, I felt bad because the extra would show up and I'd be like, 
you're not the misanthrope. I'm sorry. Isn't right. Yeah. And 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 they're, they're kind of like just pathetically standing there. Right. They have no idea what to do. They're not actors by any stretch of the imagination. So so extra. Um, yeah, they're they're so extra. I mean, it, they, they, you know, they, they don't really feel they don't feel a proper role like a, like an actor or uh, or even you know, an actress. Well, us. Yeah. Or an act. Yeah. Or an actress. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a pretty low bar. Right. 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 An incredibly low bar. Uh, unless unless you're Marina Sirtis, who um, just keeps getting work somehow. Yeah. So I like I like uh, Q and Worf in this episode. They they have a few little exchanges. I, I like I like the part where Q asks him, "Have you read any good books lately?" He says, "Have you eaten any good books lately?" Oh, eaten, eaten. Which is you know still a good line. That, um, yeah, that's still good. What I enjoy <laughs> is Worf uh, being so uh, not clever. And almost and and not just unto himself, but in the as in the sense of a television script, um, he's just frustrated and he grunts at Q, and it's just it's <laughs> it's realistic to his character. Um, yeah, but there would be a lot of I imagine temptation to just write back and forth quips, which totally totally does not happen. Thank God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Q gets all of his quips in, and then Worf just tells it. He screams at him. Right. <laughs> which. Which is odd, because I don't think I've ever seen Worf yell like that. You have to realize that's how annoying Q is. Yeah, I, I suppose so. They, uh, they, they, they put him in the, the newfangled brig. With its force field um, and everything. Yeah. And uh, he falls asleep and he starts rambling about how yeah, he fell asleep. It's kind of funny, I guess. It is kind of funny, but it... I... His constant confusion. Oh my! Yeah. My stomach was making noises. What does it right, mean? Right, right. I lost he consciousness. Know this stuff. Right. He's omnipotent, and <laughs> he still demonstrates that he didn't lose that omnipotency, or at least the knowledge he had beforehand. Yeah, 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 yeah. He still seems to know everything that he knew before. He didn't lose it. Yeah. So um, I appreciate the like trying to. I get like hunger, maybe. Mm. Like, oh, I didn't know this is what it what it felt like. Right? Yeah. Um. I appreciate them trying to, you know, make you sort of a fish out of water here or uh, having him cope with all this new stuff. But they could have done it in, you know, a million ways. And some of it they do do. The uh, the, the, the ice cream sundae stuff I thought was good. Um, yes, yes, yes. That was that was good. Uh, very strong punchline. <laughs> very good. I, I did not expect than to set it up and knock it down so well. Yeah, very a very effective comedic scene. It's very yeah, very comedic. But it also where, where usually it's, yeah. it's usually a joke isn't stretched out that far in this show. No. And it also works from the I don't know, the world building, not quite world building, but the um fleshing out cue in this role. It, it it's effective for that as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Cuz it it's not um dissonant with his omnipotence to be like, all right, I know people eat these things, but to, uh, I guess I'm hungry. I'll order fucking 10 of them. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I, he's, he's used to excess. So, yes. right. Um, so yeah, it, it, it does work very well. So uh, the, the reason Q even gets freed is because he's, he's brokered a deal with Picard to uh, help Jordy and engineering um, figure out this moon falling problem. Hmm. Which he does uh, in 
kind of the cue way. He does, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, he goes down to engineering. He has this scene where his back is hurt. Um, Got to get Crusher involved. Tell me, t- 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 yeah, no, tell me if this bothers you. They never call Crusher down, do they? Not that I recall, actually. Oh my god! Right. So the scene starts with Q being surprised. So, so you you can't even say this happened off screen because it starts with with Q being surprised about how bad his back hurts suddenly, mm. and then Crusher just shows up. Do you think that Crusher is um, also omnipotent? It's possible she could be hiding it. She does have the ability to, to bring people back from people. the dead. <laughs> <laughs> she could be godlike. She could be a godlike entity. Um, she's looking particularly hot here today. Uh, today, I, I, I just don't get you anymore. Half the days you're like, "Oh, Crusher is she's not even hot," and the other half of the days you're like, "Oh, she's hot." I mean, it's kind of an obvious uh, dichotomy, but that's you. You're on both sides of that fence too often. I am. I am. I am. I don't know. It's uh, sometimes she just looks insanely good, and you know, maybe it's just that time of the month for me. I'll say this, I think her, both her hairstyle and facial structure provide plenty of um, opportunities where shadows cast on her face are very unfavorable. There's a lot of unfavorable yes. lighting. <clears throat> yes, and if, if the lighting weren't so flat, yes. I think. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, I, I, I know we're memeing, but she benefits from flat lighting. She benefits from from the flat light, I guess. Yes, yes. I, I I totally agree with that. Yeah, the shadows can fall. She has she has very angular features, so yes, uh, sh- shadows on her face can be very harsh. But she is attractive. Yes, uh, well, it's on attractive. it's on the record. Yeah, let's okay. I'll agree to that. Um, Got to throw <laughs> in that past tense, but it's on the record. We're all in agreement. Crusher can get it. The circa nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have a time machine, there you go. So I, I was surprised you can wrap a, a, a warp field around a moon. Seems kind of convenient. It's a large warp field, or a very small moon. But, you know, they, they play fast and loose of, oh, extend the shields around this, around that. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, there's a lot of extending. Yeah. A lot of extending and a lot of separating. Of saucers yeah. and shields. The TNG story. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, that's that's going to be our new book. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, so so Data is kind of his liaison, if you will, Q's yeah, to, minder. To the crew and to humanity as a concept. Yes, which is great. It's such a good idea. Yeah. Um, it's a little overt. Uh, at one point, Data, I think the exact line is, you have achieved in disgrace what I have always aspired for, aspired to. Right. And right. that's a little on the nose, but it it... It, first of all, that's fine, but the entire interaction of the course of the episode plays out very, very satisfyingly. And it mm-hmm. uh, has a really great conclusion at the, at the end. Um, yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. So um, it, when you would think, and we all enjoy data stories, we all enjoy Q stories, and the combination of those two into one uh, narrative arc is is not surprisingly great. Right. Definitely agree. Yeah, and it, it like you said, it develops very well. Uh, you know, then then you know, uh, uh, narratively, here we 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 have the uh, if we're going in narrative order, we we have the Sunday scene. They go to ten forward, and yeah. Uh, oh, uh, there's the guiding confrontation again. Right, a masterful little bit of improv. Whoopi stabbing <laughs> John with a fork. Yeah. Wow. That was uh, that was something. 
I like and, to and think, then she just walked off. That's crazy. I like to think that was the natural result of the um, the, the nocturnal shooting schedule, which mm-hmm. is kind of exactly what we wanted, and you know, there's a reason we ended up using it. Just right. Worked. Right. Yeah. No. It, it was. It's one of the like. It's one of those things that's never going to happen again. Really. It's. It was just so perfect. Everything aligned so well for this, um, and I think we all kind of cheer a little bit on the inside when we saw that uh, the fork had drawn blood. Right. Uh, I still have that fork. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah. With, it, with the stains on it and everything? Yep. I never washed it, and um, I've mm-hmm. only used it a few times, but it's right. it, it's in my desk upstairs. Oh, okay. So if you... Uh, I'll show it to you later. I'm surprised you All haven't right. gone yeah. over this yet. But... Yeah, no. I, I maybe, maybe maybe it's your own personal thing. Hey, if, if, you were, uh... if we can get um, you know our next tier on Patreon, I'll post pictures of that fork on Twitter, and if we get two tiers up, I'll even record a video of eating salad with that fork. There we go. You uh, you heard it, Ensigns. Let's let's get those uh, subscriptions up, huh? Yeah, salad a la Q. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, here's here's a question I have. Why are there waiters when replicators exist? Excellent question. Um, Deep Space Nine also grapples with this. Cork runs a bar. People walk up and say, can I get this? He says, okay. He walks over to the replicator, <laughs> says that, and then brings it to them. I mean, I, I guess I understand wanting to simulate the, uh, the, the personal interaction of 20th century uh, dining establishments. But they could literally just have a queue of, like a, like a line, not like a character. <laughs> a queue of, of uh, a queue for the, the replicator where people go up, order their stuff, and then go sit down at the table or whatever. I believe in uh, Voyager, they have a dedicated chef on the ship. Yeah, I think they do. I don't know what the justification is for that. I've, I'm not desperate enough to watch Voyager yet. Yet. Well, you, uh, we do run into this with TNG, where it's like, you have these aliens on the ship, and they eat like very specific things. Right. Right, you have like an ambassador, and you want to make sure he's happy. Yeah, but so it's always like, like oh, I'll punch in the genetic structure the molecular structure of um this dish you want to eat which mm. is is always just hand waved away despite how fucking complicated that sounds um, right so well, that's the thing a lot of the times they don't have that but they they say that they'll do it you know like they, they oh yeah i guess that's true do you think there's someone whose job is just programming the replicators oh absolutely yeah that's totally it's it's whole like a whole industry that's well, what a chef industry is. so far is yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. The future evolves to a point where literally every job is just some nerd at a computer, even the creative right, ones. Right, right. You're, you're just you're just teaching a computer to do what you could be doing. Right. Uh, <laughs> that that is absolutely what's going to happen too. That's not even a, a far fetched observation. We need to get um, computers that can captain starships. And then Picard's just, yeah. just fucking around the ready room all day. We cause... we could just we could literally just have an autonomous Enterprise, and there would be no characters except the Enterprise. I like it. And it, it interacts with godly beings and talks to them in uh, Majel's voice. <laughs> the, the the entire Star Trek franchise collapses until Majel <laughs> is just doing all of the the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's that's one for the list. Uh, it's a dystopia. So, meanwhile, 
the 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 crew is getting scanned by some some radiation and uh conveniently for some reason this radiation completely blows the lighting out so it makes it look like a bad behind the scenes uh footage reel a bad behind um, the scenes podcast <laughs> well i wonder what that's like who knows but you're right it's it's an odd choice on how to convey that there's a scan going on it looks like shit it does <laughs> looks and, like uh, shit i think it looks like shit <laughs> i think it might look like shit <laughs> but yeah um and and you know at the same time q is being attacked by some uh malevolent energy entity right that's uh, it, i mean it's malevolent it's only seeking revenge yeah it's because yeah because he he fucks with them one too many times or something so now that q's mortal uh, and and this becomes uh, an issue later on. Uh, he has certain certain enemies that are hunting him down. Um, these these aliens are the Cal Calamarians or something. Caliphates. Cali- it's 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 something to do with that because you remember it was supposed to be this giant uh, this giant squid, right? This giant space squid, and uh, obviously it ended up not being that. Um, Dan had uh, rented out. For, for just a day this this really impressive laser rig and he was gonna do this this sort of like uh squid entity made entirely of light mm. and and so what would happen is it would approach the enterprise and it would kind of just stick its tentacle through the wall and, and wrap it around q and start shocking him um yeah we had to and, you know leave that one for the apocrypha ultimately. right 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 <laughs> right um but yeah, I, I think I think Dan was was a little pissed off to put it mildly when when Andre, um, normal sized Andre, he was our our science consultant. Uh, he told him that space squids don't actually exist, so we we couldn't put it in there. Yeah, uh, and it ended up just being this kind of ball of this nebulous uh, mass of light. I um, mean, I can't blame them. Up until now, all of our stuff is aligned with you know the the boundaries of reality. So yeah, yeah, sure. Wanting to go against it's that is foolhardy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, data saves but, Q but at it, some point. Yeah, data, data, data saves Q that first time. Right. And then, and then you know, then they have the meeting. You know, like oh, uh, it's it's Picard and Data and Q and Riker, and you know, they're like you know, wondering if if the liability of having Q on board is even worth it because there's going to be people hunting him down, aliens hunting him down. Uh, data sticks up for him. Uh, Q is very arrogant and says, I know you're going to save me anyway. Is this... But then he goes on to sacrifice himself. Right? Yeah, 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 he does. He does. Uh, but, but so before that, Data saves him a second time from while, while they're trying to put a shield around the moon. Oh, I've, yes. I forgot that there were two of these. Time. Yeah, and that's when Data gets fried. Right, right. Okay, and okay. They, then there's a the surgery again, scene. They once again take him to medical bay for some reason, where Crusher is working on him for some reason. This is never going to stop being weird, right? <laughs> and she tells everyone else to leave. <laughs> Get the engineers what? out of here. Right. This is a medical matter. This man. Uh, quick, quick aside. Data's positronic brain, like that little flap to expose oh, yeah. it. Brent, yeah. Brent had to get special surgery to get that in there, and it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, to this day, cool. he's still got it, of course, and. 
you know, if you ask him, he'll take the staple out and show it to you, which I recommend doing. Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah, if you ever get the chance, it's pretty cool. Like, there, there are buttons on it, too, that light it up. Right, right, right. It's Part of the surgery was having it made to look like it does in the final cut here. So, mm-hmm. and the lights are just powered by uh, Brent's force of will. Right. Yeah, it, it works out really well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really, really cool stuff. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, we don't see Brent that often anymore, but, you know, if I see him right. across the room at a party, I kind of make like a like a tipping my hat gesture almost where I, I like pull off the flap and, you know, he reciprocates with a chuckle and inevitably somebody around him is like, what? What is this? Right, right, and, right. It's, it's, a, it's a good party trick for sure. Yeah. And if there was somebody in desperate need of a good party trick, I would definitely say it was Brent. Definitely. I mean, he definitely. just before that, it was just, oh, let me pull up my phone and show you my curb your enthusiasm riff on youtube <laughs> and everybody would just stand around the phone and kind of humoring him like a small child right right lots of lots of fake laughs right oh um, you misanthrope right. <laughs> uh okay where are we so so q at this point he there's a little back and forth he goes to picard he goes to data he starts realizing uh, that what Data did was a selfless act, and he's starting to understand the ramifications of that. And um, he surprisingly decides to take a shuttle uh, out in order to stop the Calamarians from attacking the Enterprise, and so they'll just kill him and go away. And Which is represents a significant development for Q. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. And... Um, of course, Picard tries to get him back every every way possible. He tries beaming him. He tries extending the shield, of course. He tries the tractor beam. Uh, and it turns out they're all disabled. And why are they disabled? Well, we have we have another Q. Uh, Corbin Burnson. Corbin Burnson. Uh, this guy, he, he really he had this weird habit of always pretending like he was chewing gum. Yeah, the gum guy. This? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's acting really hard here. I I don't think I've seen anyone act this hard on on Star Trek. It's it's which is I, incredible. I, I know exactly what happened. You see who the the other Q actor is, John. Right. Like, I, I right. have to match this energy. Can't right. Can't do an original take on on the character. And, and, and that's that's the that's the yeah that's the thing. Like he matched it in all the wrong ways. Like you don't just copy it. Yeah, you can't just throw uh, your arms around in front of you and expect that to be what endears people to Q. You wanna you wanna hear something really funny? No. Okay. Yeah yes. Alright, so you know you know Star Trek the experience? Uh yeah. You know it, right? No. <laughs> Is this okay. like a VR thing? <laughs> no, it was it was this this attraction at the the Hilton Hotel in Las Vegas. Okay. Um do you do you put on like a Klingon mask and pretend to drink blood wine? I, I can't really say exactly what goes down there, but I know they had they used to have conventions there. Okay. Um, and so Corbin Corbin Burnson um, made an appearance at at the Star Trek Experience. Tell me nobody recognized uh, one him. year. Even better. Okay. There was a there was a contest. Um. I don't know what the contest entailed, but the winner got to eat lunch with Q, John Delancey. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm in. John Delancey, John Delancey was unable to attend, so the other Q 
had to go to the lunch. So these people won a lunch with with Corbin Birdson. <laughs> how great is that? Just how awkward that must have been. Um, right. You know, they go and they sit down. And they're just not ready for this at all. And Corbin Burnson, you know, he's filling in. He doesn't really know either. And after a minute of silence, he's like, oh, uh, have you seen L.A. Law? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and when when you you when you are ready to meet John Delancey, preparing to meet John Delancey, that's a very specific person. Like, you're not just going to lunch for the hell of it. You want to meet John Delancey. Right. So to show up and get Corbin Burnson is um i can just imagine the the crushing disappointment that that those winners must have felt which is hilarious it's a very good story mm-hmm. i'm into so it. uh so corbin burnson gives other cues powers back all right and, you got uh, your powers back you got your powers back <laughs> very conveniently you got, you got your powers back all right uh Q immediately shrinks down the Calamarians and pretend, or tries to crush them, uh, after which he is reprimanded by the other Q and just blows them away, which also seems very traumatic. Uh, and he teleports onto the, um, Enterprise. the bridge of the Enterprise with a mariachi band and some fake sexy women, which I don't know if I would be able to pass up. Well, freaks, if you didn't have the beard... Yeah, that was a good line. <laughs> you weren't like that before the beard. Very meta. And then he gives the women uh, the wharf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, wharf seems wharf seems uh, more okay with it for some reason. Uh, here's here's a good line from Data: The aliens have disappeared. <laughs> okay. Look around you, Data. <laughs> right, right, right. Why why do they keep doing this? Um, but in any case, Q. He gives Data the gift of laughter. Uh, he should have been the Joker. Brent should have been the Joker. I enjoyed the cooldown of um, from the end of the laughter to the return to Data's neutral face. Mm-hmm. A ni- mm-hmm. nice little bit of ultimately meaningless physical acting that I that I enjoyed. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Um... No one's really having Q's ostentatious display, celebrating getting his powers back. Mm. Uh, so they, they tell him to fuck off. And uh, then the aliens call and say, well, Picard, you did it. You stopped the moon from falling. Picard, and not only that, but it's Picard it, it's spits, perfect. Picard spits out his tea and says, whoa, what? You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then, he, then he's just totally okay with stealing valor. Right. Well, all in a day's work. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how many times this is going to happen. I What I kind of enjoy is that Q has a very significant arc here, and mm-hmm. every single character, except for perhaps Data, refuses to acknowledge it. Um, yeah, yeah. Nobody says, oh, you know, this might be a new Q, or that's not the Q I know, or whatever. It's just like, that fucking asshole. <laughs> you get a little bit of it from Picard at the end. Which I think is necessary, considering their relationship sort of evolved a little bit going forward. D- does he remark on it? Yeah, he, he says he says perhaps there's some humanity in Q. Oh, I must something. have missed that. I, I must have and fallen then, asleep 20 minutes before and that And then line. Q's, Q 
Q's head shows up next to him like a, like a like a mm. devil on his shoulder. Yes, just don't get like, used don't to it. Don't count on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. All right, you're right. You're right. Fair enough. Yeah, and then uh, that's the end of the episode. They uh, little little reference at the end here. Um, the the space station they they embark toward at the end is called uh, Nagala Four, right? Mm. And um, this is just a little little piece of trivia for for the fans uh, who may not know it, but Nagala Four was actually a planet that uh, Gene he wanted to use this at multiple different junctures as TNG was getting off the ground. Um, I think its first use was actually it was going to be Geordi's home planet. Right. Uh, now obviously it's a space station. You know the name got repurposed, but uh, you know it's been floating around for a while, so or it had been. Yeah, we so kind of have go. this encyclopedia depository of concepts and names and such. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You got to draw from that well. Every so often you pull from it. Yeah. Uh, Overall, and that's it. Pretty good episode. Good episode, yeah. It's a fun one, too, so that's that's good. Yeah, it, there's an, I think very often episodes regarded as, as higher level do are seen as such because of their subject matter being serious or um, their science there's science fiction concepts being kind of heady but mm-hmm. it's it's rare for episodes that are more fun or just a good time or silly or humorous to be seen in all that much of a positive light yeah yeah definitely but this one gets there yeah it totally does it totally does and it, it actually has something to say mm. and something to do with with its established characters something that sort of evolves them even if just a little bit, which is great. It's a say it's a it's between like a four and a five out of five, really. Yeah, somewhere around there. A lot of saucer steps. Really a lot of saucer steps for this one. Um, I it held up despite the amount of times I've seen it, which is I think yeah. is a good indicator of how much I enjoy that episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, you got All your right. cue back. Yeah. You, you, eh. So, here's my question for you this week. Is the answer Corbin Burnson? Ah, fuck. All right, let me get another one. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the the planet that the, the aliens were dealing with was on, uh, it was called Briel 4, right? Yeah. So a Briel 4 scientist costume was auctioned off. Of course, this comes from Memory Alpha, our good friends, deep lovers in Memory Alpha. A Briel scientist costume, Briel 4 scientist costume was auctioned off in the It's a Rap Salin auction. The tag mistakenly states that it was for portraying a what, uh, which is an understandable mix-up in this episode. Well, it's sort of understandable. It's not the Calum- Calamarian, is it? It is. There we go. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, it's tag called a, a, a costume for the Calamarian scientist. I'm sorry. It's Calamarian. I knew it wasn't Calamarian. A little too on the nose. We just wanted it to be Calamarian. Yeah. <laughs> we we had to we had to switch the position of the I and the A once the, the original concept fell through. But that's pretty uh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone was not paying it. It's funny how you even make that mistake. You you know enough about the episode to know what aliens show up, but you don't know right. which alien is which. Oh well. But I, I wanna to talk to the person who won that costume, see if I can rent it out for personal use. 
Yeah, yeah, I actually do wonder. I do wonder. I do. I do. Well, I do, I do. Sounds like that's going to be it for this episode of The Ready Room. Um, mm-hmm. Want to thank our sponsors, Pep Boys, home of the Three Minute Oil Change, and Denny's, home of Tauntaun Men. And uh, if you go to either of those fine establishments, drop the keyword readier. They'll be sure to give you a 15% discount on whatever it is you buy or order. And uh, keep coming back next week, where we're going to have another episode of The Next Generation. This one, with slightly less Q levels, but it'll be TNG nonetheless. Until then, Mm. everybody, spay and neuter your pets, hug your friends, and please, stay ready. The Troublesome Little Man Child. Lowest of species. Thank you, Ensign. Engage. inside the bottle bottle.